Hi, you're listening to the Sermon Recording Podcast of Awaken Church. Awaken is a church of missional communities whose vision is to see individuals experience healing through the gospel, be raised to their fullest potential among community, and sent out to live a life on mission. You can find out more online at awakenvb.com. And if you live in Hampton Roads, we invite you to check out our worship gathering in the Haygood area of Virginia Beach, Saturday evenings at 5 p.m. Thank you for listening. Hey, good evening. I, uh, I get to share a little bit uh, just in our series, uh, Better Together. So uh, Philip asked me if I would share about how hard it is to do community together. And so I thought maybe a good place to start is with the idea of a rummage sale. Has anybody here walked through a rummage sale before? You've just gone through and you've just ditched everything. Anybody? Yeah? Yeah? Okay. So I have, uh, as I was preparing to speak tonight, I was thinking to myself about rummage sales. And I was thinking to myself, honestly, different rummage sales that I personally have walked through. And so there's a rummage sale of my home. So the last two months of my home, we've been walking through a rummage sale that actually uh, my friend David said to me the other day, he said, Mike, has it been two months or has it been three years? So three years ago, we laid down new flooring in our home. Uh, so Hurricane Matthew came through, ditched our ceiling, water came in. We had to replace all the flooring downstairs, new kitchen, new receptacles downstairs. Uh, what else? Repair all the drywall, all kinds of stuff downstairs to fix everything from Hurricane Matthew, right? So in that process, you're fixing everything. You go through a rummage sale. You're like, wow, we don't need this anymore. We'll ditch this oh, this doesn't work anymore, we'll throw that away. And so that happened, uh, you know, two and a half, three years ago with Hurricane Matthew. Uh, As we've lived in the home for the last couple of years, we come to find out that mold was growing under the floor that we had just laid three years ago. In that process, we said, all right, so what do we got to do in order to take care of the mold? So we ripped up all the floors in the last couple of weeks. I got a picture here, I think. Yep, so this is my house in the last couple of weeks. We're living as we're doing that in that house, okay? So we uh, had to rip up all the floors downstairs, treat all the mold downstairs. In the process, had to repair all kinds of leaks that were coming into the home upstairs. Uh, After the leaks were prepared, that's the picture on the left, were fixed upstairs. We uh, got all the drywall fixed, everything put back together. So my last two weeks has been this. So when I say a rummage sale, I speak as a rummage sale on a home where we have ditched all kinds of stuff and in the process trying to recreate new. Can we go back a slide? Is that possible? In the same time period, the last two years, as I thought about rummage sales, I thought to myself, you know, I think I've also vocationally have walked through a rummage sale. What I mean by that is Almost 12 years ago, my wife and my family and I, we moved here from the Midwest to plant Awaken Church, to learn about church planting, to learn about a culture here that's very different than where we came from, and to say, hey, how do we impact Hampton Roads? How do we reach military sailors in order to reach around the world with the gospel? So in that process over the last Two years, we began asking questions, what does it look like for us to be involved in church planning again, 
not just to go plant a church, but to live as missionaries to help further church planting in Hampton Roads and beyond. So in that process, people will ask me, they'll say, so Mike, you're a pastor. No, not really. Maybe. Sort of, kind of, no. I pastor pastors. In that process, people will say, oh, you're going to plant another church. No, not, not really. We're, we're trying to help plant churches, and we're planting churches all up and down the East Coast. People will say, oh, so you're, you're, what are you doing then? Well, you know how people live as missionaries overseas? Maybe. We're trying to do that here. You, you mean you need to do that here? Why would you do that here? And that's where I believe the church today is under a rummage sale. So I would argue for the last century, the church has walked through dramatic cultural changes. Now track with me here. Some of you guys are going to eat this up. Others of you guys are going to be like, can you please get to the point? I promise you this is pertinent to us living in community. I will argue that for the last century, the church has walked through a rummage sale that has only increased in the last 10 to 20 years. And so as I think through a rummage sale just right now in my own home, we're like going through things, pitching things. I went through a filing cabinet today and threw all kinds of files away. Went through a bunch of books yesterday, threw a bunch of books away, just going through everything, saying, okay, what is still needed in this journey ahead? Let's go to the next slide. I will argue that the church has walked through reformations in the past. How many of you guys have heard of the Great Reformation? Mid-1500s. Luther nailed his theses, 95 theses, to the Catholic Church, which created what is now today known as the Protestant Church. And it was this argument that the Pope does not have ultimate uh, authority, but what does have ultimate authority within the minds of the Protestant Church? The Scriptures, right? right? Right here, the Scriptures. So the church walked through this reformation back in the 15th century, 16th century. Before that, 500 years before that, the church walked through another reformation. It's known as the Great Schism. Has anybody heard of the Great Schism? Some? What happened in the Great Schism? Anybody know? What's that? Two popes. One in the east and one in the west. Right? East side versus west side. Pope style. That is what brought about the Eastern Orthodox Church separating from the Catholic Church. Before that, has anybody ever heard of Gregory the Great? Anybody know why he was so great? Not really, right? (laughs) This is a little bit further back in history we really don't think about. Gregory the Great, though... During his time frame, there was another reformation of the church. It was about 500 years before the Great Schism, which was a thousand years roughly before the Great Reformation, which from us is about 1,500 years ago. And it was where the monastic order of the church began to form. 
And what is interesting about this time period, as the monastic order of the church began to form, there were all kinds of changes that were taking place within the church. And so there was this heightened idea of the monastic order. So creating monasteries, creating opportunities for the church to escape from the world, to purify its faith, which actually during that time period, and I know you guys don't care about this, I do, during that time period, <clears throat> it allowed the church to keep a purity form as it went through all of these other changes. Again, you guys don't care, I do. 500 years before Gregory the Great was the Great Transformation. What is that? That is Christ. God coming to earth in the form of humanity. The rummage sale that the church, I would argue, is in today, same thing that happened 500 years ago, same thing that happened 1,000 years ago, same thing that happened 1,500 years ago, same thing that happened 2,000 years ago. Can we go to the next slide? So... What is exactly the moonwalk? Do you know for the first time in history there are five generations that are walking the earth today? First time in history. Five different generations. To one generation, the moonwalk means something different to another generation. Did you know that the original moonwalk there was disruption within the church. That disruption was built around certain passages you would read in Scripture. It says that the moon is what? To God. His footstool. So the Scriptures say that the moon is God's footstool. It's an analogy, right? But before we could literally walk on the moon... That was seen less figuratively in Scripture. To where when we walked on the moon, somebody looked at a world-famous theologian and said, that can't be possible because if we walked on the moon, we would have seen God's feet. Next slide. I want us to understand the cultural changes that have happened the last hundred years. Because this impacts not only the church, if we are the church, it impacts how we live in community. As Philip said last week, community is very difficult. Actually, you said community is very difficult. Look at the changes that have happened in the last hundred years. If we stretch out a little bit beyond 100 years, we get into slavery. Scripture doesn't condemn or condone slavery. As slavery was being fought, people would go to the Scriptures on either side of the argument. Did you know that? To us, we're like, that makes no sense, but in that time period, it was an argument about what is humanity. 
What does it mean to be human? That was the argument during slavery. Are African Americans that are slaves, are they human? To us, it's like, well, of course, that's a dumb question. A little over 100 years ago, not such a dumb question to those that were living. To some that were living. You get into World War I. <clears throat> the family structure started to change in World War I. At that point in World War I, the early part of the 20th century, there was family dynamics where the male went off to work, the husband and the wife stayed home and took care of the kitchen and the kids. But then World War I happened and the, the husbands had to go overseas who was left to fill the jobs here at home, except the women that were in the kitchens. The men come back for war, from war, the women go back to the kitchens, but a generation came out of that whose little girls remembered their moms going to work and said, we have a voice too. So here in Western culture, family dynamics began to change. At one point, people would go to the scriptures for that early idea of what family dynamics looked like. It was a shredding of a little bit more, asking really good questions. What is the interpretation of scripture? Today, it's not just dad and mom and the kids. Sometimes it's dad and dad and the kids. Culture is continually changed. Albert Einstein introduced an idea of relative... I knew I'd forget. I should put it in my notes. What is it? Theory of relativity, which actually somebody else built off of. Heinrich, I want to say, who actually began asking questions, can we really know what reality is? This all came out of Einstein's science. E equals mc squared. Began again just unraveling some of the scriptures. Then genetics started to tie humanity to monkeys. And we can laugh all we want. But there are biogenetics that are showing commonality that is making us look as a culture at Scripture and asking really good questions, just like they did at slavery, just like they did with women's rights, just like what is happening with gender confusion and gender issues today. Introduced the automobile, neighborhoods changed. Introduced medicine, five generations walking the earth that each look at the moon differently. Next slide. This has created a rummage sale within the church. Go back to all the rummage sales. 
that I just shared with you, all the reformations that I just shared with you, the Great Reformation, the Great Schism, Gregory the Great, the Great Transformation, and what today is happening, some refer to as the Great Emergence, which we don't have time to go and unpack all of it. They all lie with the same three questions. What is authority? What does it mean to be human? And what is the relation of religions to one another? I know you're sitting here and you're like, what the heck does this have to do with me living in community? I know Philip's freaking out like, Mike, I told you to talk talk about better together and how hard it is. Last time I let you talk. I don't think we can learn how to live in community together if we keep our eyes and nose and ears ignorant of what is actually transpiring around us culturally. There is a rummage sale that is occurring in the church, outside of the church, asking questions about authority, asking questions about humanity, asking questions about how do all of these religions operate, coincide, not coincide. Discussion for a different day. I would argue that because of this great rummage sale, we need to be awakened, you like that? In two different ways. I would argue we we need to be reawakened to a triune God. Our God is not just Jesus. Jesus is Lord. But it's also God the Father and the Holy Spirit. I had a picture I was going to show you. You can look it up. A guy named Andrei Rublev. Good Russian name. Painted a picture known as the Holy Trinity back in the 15th century. In the picture, he has an angelic being sitting here, an angelic being sitting here, an angelic being sitting here. And then on the front of the table is a square where they believed a mirror sat. That as you pondered upon this painting, you would see yourself in the mirror. These angelic beings represented the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit in perfect rhythm, in perfect community, in perfect relationship together. Like a jazz orchestra. Anybody like jazz? Anybody think it's crazy that I like Megadeth and jazz? Sometimes together, sometimes separate. Think about the Trinity as a jazz orchestra. The Father plays and then gives the lead over to the Son, who gives the lead to the Spirit. And as this is taking place between the triune God, this holy Trinity, we get to gaze upon this beautiful Trinitarian dance. 
that shows us and reminds us of the mutuality of community. It shows us and reminds us what it means to walk and enter into community together. Awaken has a co-leadership team to model this idea that there is not a head at the table, but there are sometimes the father is leading the conversations. Other times the son and other times the spirit. It's a model of community. Not that there isn't a leader, there's always a leader. In a jazz orchestra, there's always a lead. But it changes, it switches. This beautiful dance in rhythm. Because of the rummage sale that's taking place, we as the church need to reimagine a triune God. That I would argue throughout the Protestant church, different parts of the triune God have been forgotten. You can name your Protestant tradition, and one of those three in the Trinity is probably left off most of the time. We also need to reimagine community. You see, the church, we're used to sitting in rows. I used to think when I planted Awaken, it's because everybody thought I was beautiful. I've learned that's probably not the case. It's a tradition that's gone on for centuries. But it doesn't lead to much community. That's, again, why Awaken is created with missional communities. This idea of how do we live in community together as we are on mission with God's spirit in that place. So there's this idea that community is difficult. It's hard. Am I allowed to say hard as hell? It's hard. But just as it's hard, it's also easy. I'm going to try to model it for you. The first thing you do to create community is pull up a chair and sit your butt down. You think I'm joking. I'm being serious. Pull up a chair around a table and sit your butt down. I promise you this week you will have to do just that. Because of the world that we live in, constantly moving, constantly changing. I mean, what's the purpose of fast food? I don't have time to sit my butt down at a table with anybody else and actually eat. The first thing in creating community, grab a chair and put your butt in it. Philip wanted me to make this basic. Is that basic enough? Is that basic? I hope it's basic. Sit your butt in the chair. Okay. It doesn't happen without healthy rhythm and boundaries in your life. Knowing when to say yes and when to say no. I'll be the first to tell you I've had to learn how to put my butt in a chair around a table. Not in front of a TV, but around a table. 
I also try to learn to share my table. I try to share my table with somebody else that knows Jesus. They may not believe all the same things about Scripture that I do, but they are a follower of Jesus. They're a follower of the triune God. They might be a different denominational background. Sometimes this table has been reflected with everything from Catholics to Protestants to nuns and duns. But I try to create a space around the table with somebody that knows Jesus. That was hard for me. Because I used to think that any time I pulled up around a table, I had to turn it on. I had to be my best self. That was exhausting. I would argue that many of us have a hard time pulling somebody else up around a table because we feel like we can't enter that table sick, confused, broken, hurt, poor, poor and poor again. Then I realized I don't have, if I'm in community with friends, I don't have to turn it on. I just got to be present. I got to sit my butt in a chair and invite somebody else to sit in a chair. And we share our life struggles together. You know what that's called? It's called vulnerability. I would argue that many of us, from my own experience, myself included, we struggle with vulnerability because of our own insecurities. I had to find my own insecurities. I had to root them out. I had to do a rummage sale on my own insecurities, Dagnabbit. It, it hurt in order to create vulnerability so I can create community. And then over here, I grab another chair and I invite somebody to the table that doesn't know Jesus. And I invite them to this chair not to make them a Christian. I think I got some attention. Some of you guys are looking down. I just said that. You're like, what? Wait a minute. I thought I was in church. I don't know. I invite him to a table and I say, hey, I'm not here to make you Christian. My hope is that maybe I can show you what it means to be fully alive. Jesus said I came to give life and to give life to the fullest. I don't believe that we can know what full life is outside of Jesus. So maybe instead of getting somebody to understand and believe my Christian doctrinal beliefs, rather I say, hey, let's walk through life together. Maybe we can learn what it means to be fully human. And as we learn what it means to be fully human, and we do it in community, I think it points to this table that the Trinity is already at. You see, I used to think that I have to make everything just. And I think many Christians today struggle with having somebody at a table that doesn't know Jesus because they're like, I've got to make everything just. 
A year ago, I found myself in Philadelphia meeting with some church planners. I was broken. I was a mess. Because of this rummage sale in my own heart and my own soul. My wife sent me a song. She said, I want you to listen to this. And it has to do with God picking up all these broken pieces. I'm listening to this song and I'm looking across this cafe and I see a family sitting at a table. This family sitting at a table. One of the children couldn't be any more than maybe seven or eight years old. I have a seven and an eight year old. But their seven or eight year old couldn't walk. And I remember sitting there in that chair listening to this song about God putting all the broken pieces together. And I'm like, no! That is not right! God, that is not right! That needs to be fixed! This is, it was stirring in my soul. You have to understand this. And I felt the whisper of the Spirit. And the Spirit says, no, it's not. But it's right for right now. It's right for right now. So when I invite somebody to a table, I say, hey, do I agree with all their worldview? No. Do they have to agree with all my worldview? No. Does all their worldview line up with the scriptures? No. Does all my worldview line up with the scriptures? I, I, I don't know. I try, but I don't know. But I have to realize, is it right? No. But it's right for right now. It's just for right now. God is making all things new. I keep a fourth chair. There's a chair that I put my butt in. There's a chair that I invite another follower, brother or sister that's following Jesus with me. There's a chair for somebody that may be a skeptic, may not know what they are or who they are or where they're going. I say, hey, come join us. We're figuring it out together. And then I keep a fourth chair. Because I've learned one thing. As we follow God into his mission, he is already at work. In our missional communities, God is already at work. I want to make sure there's another chair for when God says, hey, invite them to the table too. I don't think that it's a coincidence that our Lord and Savior, was known as a drunkard, was known for eating too much, and for hanging out with a pretty scrappy group of people. He learned to share a table. Most of Jesus' ministry happened around a table. And I'm more convinced now than ever that the future of the church is around tables. This is still needed. We need to be reminded. This is a place that we are reminded. We still need to be in this space. 
But as we go from this space, we need to learn to be around tables. And I don't believe that it's a coincidence that when Jesus left this place, I slammed the table too hard. I lost my spot. Mark 14. I don't believe it's a coincidence that this is how Jesus left the world. Listen to this. And on the first day of unleavened bread, when they sacrificed the Passover lamb, his disciples said to him, where will you have us go and prepare you for you to eat the Passover? You see, the Passover was a meal. It was a table. It was a table that the Jewish people sat around to remember how God had saved them from the captivity of Egypt. Jesus calls his disciples together around a table. A little bigger than this one. But around this table, he sends them to go find. And he says, go into the city and a man carrying a jar of water will meet you. Follow him. And wherever he enters, say to the master of the house, the teacher says, Where is my guest room where I may eat the Passover with my disciples? And Jesus tells them, He will show you a large upper room furnished and ready there prepared for us. Prepared for this meal. And the disciples set out and went to the city and found it just as Jesus had said. And when it was evening, He came with the twelve and they sat around this table. And it says, As they reclined, And they ate at the table. Jesus says to them, Truly I say to you, one of you will betray me, one who is eating with me. Jesus welcomed everybody around the table. They began to be sorrowful to say to one another if it was them or not. And Jesus says, It is the one of the twelve, one who is dipping bread into the dish with me. For the Son of Man goes as it is written of him, but woe to that man by whom the Son of Man is betrayed. And it continues and it says, And as they were eating, he took bread. And after blessing it, broke it, and gave it to them. My friends, we are reminded of this meal through the sacrament of the communion table. And Jesus says, Take this, is my body. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, and they all drank of it. And he said to them, this is my blood of the covenant, which is poured out for many. Truly I say to you, I will not drink again of the fruit of the vine until that day when I drink it new in the kingdom of God. Jesus left us with a sacrament to remember his body that was pierced and his blood that was shed for our escape from captivity. Just as they were celebrating around a table the Passover, their escape from captivity.
I share that to share this. As we walk through this confusing time, this rummage sale of sorts, this grassroots reformation within the church in our culture, community is hard. But it's also easy. And it's also how we show the world the church. It's also how we are the church together is around tables. And it's around tables that Jesus told us to remember him. Do me a favor this week. Sit your butt in a chair around a table. Find out who the other two are you're going to invite. And always keep a chair open. Because when we follow the Spirit into his mission, he's always going to want to add to the party. Lord Jesus, thank you. Thank you. As we look throughout all of history and all these different times where the church has walked through a rummage sale, that it's always caused the gospel to expand and go wide. Jesus, thank you that you are God, that you are on mission in the places that we live, and that we only need to learn how to create a table, how to invite people around that table to create rhythms in our lives, to enjoy that table. To know that I'm not there to make everything just and right. I'm there learning how to be more human. How to be fully alive in you. And as I do that, as we do that together, we get to invite a world to sit around a table with us too. Lord, teach us, mold us, change and transform us around a table, and around your heart. Amen. Amen.